Hi, I'm James, and this is James Explores the New Mutants, an issue-by-issue exploration of Marvel's comic book series, The New Mutants. Welcome to episode 45, entitled, If We Die Before We Wake, in which I'll be examining issue number 38. Please stay tuned. Welcome back. So today, like I said, we'll be covering The New Mutants number 38, entitled Aftermath. Uh, it's the only issue I'll be covering today, so uh, it, yeah, we we aren't going to be cramming as many issues in because uh, we're we're finally beyond the beyonder. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, so it's just this issue, and let's let's run down our creative team. Uh, Chris Claremont, he is the the writer and uh, uh, cons- consistently, and he is fantastic. Um, we have. A new artist on the book, Rick Leonardi, and he is an absolute treasure. He's a fantastic, fantastic artist. Um, I really enjoy his work. And he is paired with an inker, uh, Bill Zinkevich, uh, who we are familiar with and me, myself, am a huge fan of. And I, I think Zinkevich works extremely well doing inks for Leonardi. Um we have a new letter, Ken Bruzek and Glynis Oliver returning to colors. We have Anne Nascenti as the X-Men line or X-Men New Mutants editor, the X-Men line editor, or maybe the mutant editor. And we have Jim Shooter as editor in chief. So it's pretty, pretty, uh, pretty standard fare. Leonardi, I, I, he's pretty uh, well established as within. Uh, the mutant sector of Marvel Comics. He's done. He's done a number of issues uh, for uh, Marvel in in terms of X Men and and now uh, on uh, New Mutants. Uh, he's fantastic. He's really he, he is a treat. Um, yeah, that's that's our creative team. So uh, yeah, let's let's dive right in. So this issue, it opens with a splash page, and it's massive action. It appears as though the New Mutants are doing battle with Sentinels. And the narration for this part, throughout really this entire issue, is from that of the headmaster, Magneto. Um, and he's he's talking about what what's occurring here. He He's seeing, he can hear... The thoughts of his students, he, he can hear, he's not there, but he, he hears what they're saying. It's as clear as day. And he's talking about how they're struggling and how, how they seem to relish these battles. And that's what they're, they're really taking, um, they're really enjoying this. They're, this is what they're kind of living for at this point. Uh, first, it's fighting these Sentinels, and then it's next, it's the White Queen and the Hellions. And each battle, each time they fight, it's it's a harder opponent. It's a more difficult opponent. Opponent, and and this is all intertwined with with Magneto's own thoughts and inadequacies. He feels as though you know he wants so badly to protect this next generation of, of mutants. It's it's what's brought him um, into the fold as a as a neutral, chaotic good or neutral good uh, character. He he shifted from that role of a villain to this role of a uh, headmaster of this school for gifted youngsters um, that was Xavier's baby right and and the reason he's willing to take this change the reason his characters come to this point is because he 
He cares so deeply about mutant kind. He wants to protect these kids. He has seen horrors. His family killed. He's seen generations upon generations of people wiped out. I do not think that at this point in continuity, he's been established to having survived the Holocaust. But later on, that will be revealed that he's Jewish, that he was in a you know concentration camp uh, in like Auschwitz and you know he in a nazi death camp and he survived this he 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 manifested his mutant abilities i mean he's got just a really dark dark sordid past and so his his future everything he sees going forward is jaded by that perspective perspective and he does not want to see mutants treated the same way the jews were by by the nazis and he sees so many places in society where that's a possibility and i'm way off track so i I digress but this is what colors magneto this is what drives his character here and he's insecure on top of all this so he has all this goodwill and all this hope and and aspirations for what he's going to accomplish but he doesn't have the confidence or the trust in himself or the self-determination uh self self-belief um, to actually carry out his desires, right? He's stuck behind this wall of fear and unable to act. And when he does act, he second guesses himself constantly. And so what we see here is this kind of coloring his statements about what is happening in each of these panels. And so the new mutants are fighting desperately. And, uh, soon he, he, Magneto tells us the, the reader that he hears his own voice. And he tells the students that this is enough. It's it's time to go to bed. They need to go to bed. It's it's bedtime. And, and the new mutants, they are, they don't want to. They want to continue. They're not ready. And he, and he says, no, you know, they they need to get to bed. And and so they all reluctantly agree. And and he's talking to them from the window, an upper window in the in the mansion down. And they're down in the the front lawn. And and they say, you know, as they kind of gather and they and they make their way away from the mansion. And we see eventually that that the students are climbing into these rectangular holes in the ground. It's their graves. They're crawling into their own graves. They lay down and they are buried with dirt. And they say goodnight to each other and to the prophet Magneto and, and he awakes. It's the next morning. This is a dream, and it's a dream that he's been having regularly. It's a repeated dream. And we are eventually going to discover that it's not just him who's having these dreams. It's actually New Mutants as well. And he reports this all to Sharon Freelander. Sharon Freelander and Tom Corsi, they were greatly affected by the events in Demon Bear Saga. They're trained from a white cop and a white nurse to these Native Americans. They were uh, kind of trying to be, you know, getting... They, Xavier was trying to help them. Uh, he'd had tons of tons of others trying to help him. Doctor Strange looked into this. He was unable to help them. And even uh, uh, Moira was unable to help them. And so here they are. Now they are working, uh, at doing odd jobs here at the Xavier School. And Sharon, uh, she's a nurse, so that's a talent that's useful. And obviously she just kind of helps out wherever. So... These reoccurring dreams are happening, and Magneto and Sharon, they're going to talk, talk about this. Uh, but before we dive into that, I do want to make a quick uh, 
I, I, I noticed this uh, consistency with Claremont's storytelling at ter- in terms of New Mutants issue, in these early issues. So, there have been, from if I'm remembering cl- correctly, this has just kind of popped in my head just as I was about going to record this episode. Um, if I remember correctly, they've had two winters at the Xavier Mansion. The first, uh, Ileana returns from limbo, basically. She kind of starts hanging around, the mutant, you know, becomes a t- member of the team. We see that. And then shortly after that, we have the Demon Bear Saga and the Hellion stuff. Uh, all this occurs in winter. And so this, the entrance of Ileana and the shift to the Demon Bear Saga shift this comic in tone and the introduction of Bill Sienkiewicz into something that it, it closely resembles a horror comic. Um, and we see aspects of that once again here with Leonardi and Zinkevich, right? This this dream is straight up horror, it is horror, horror, horror all the way straight through, and um, and and as the issue continues, that'll come more and more apparent. But the thing I want to point out that this issue is taking place in winter. The New Mutants are killed during at Thanksgiving break, I think. Um, even though it was supposed to be Christmas in Power Pack, so there's a little bit of a continuity snafu, but I believe it was Thanksgiving break that they were killed, um, or at least before Christmas, uh, certainly because they hadn't, they hadn't done the Christmas shopping yet. Uh, so it's winter then that they're killed, and they're resurrected, and this issue's taking place in the winter because the establishing shot in the mansion shows lots of snow and Sharon and Magneto are talking about the ice-cold winter, the weather. And we have another very horrific horror story, right? We have the Beyond the Sun, Nipped It Force, that just wipes out the team, just which like basically hardly even lift, without even really lifting a finger, uh, just snaps them out of existence. Uh, and then they return, and they're just not right and this dream and some of the other aspects that are going to pop up in this story really link it to horror and what is it right that that winter months at least in these two at these first years these these first couple years under Claremont's uh authorship what what ties the new mutants in this comic to winter and these this being a place where Claremont feels comfortable to lay out stories that that have elements of horror to them. I just I, I don't know that I have a really good answer. I mean I could theorize they're teenagers, uh you know, seasonal depression, uh you could theorize uh school and being in school. We're not no longer in summer break, right? The dread and the dreary uh constant like monotony of routine or is he exploring some other aspects of teen growth development and maturity that is easily or more readily expressed through horror I don't know I couldn't tell you I don't have a good answer like I said it really came came to my head just before I started recording if any of you listeners do have 
thoughts or you know would like to like maybe hash this out uh i'd I'd be really really uh interested in seeing what you all had to say uh you can get a hold of me via twitter or um email or my facebook uh instagram pages uh i also have a voice message service uh you'll hear all about that stuff at the end please please reach out i'd love to hear your thoughts on this um but let's not let's not uh stagnate here any longer let's let's keep let's push forward so as i said sharon and magneto are talking she has brought him his the mail and the newspaper and he you know he tells her about the dreams and he he explains to her and us the readers and i'm just going to read his direct quote each night sharon they hurl themselves into battle against increasingly deadly odds before returning to their graves the best they can do is endure they cannot even hope to win unless I can break the cycle. This nightmare will consume them. Their bodies may function, but their souls, their spirits, will be no more. And I love, I just really love Claremont's writing. I also love Magneto's take. And it's pretty clear there is something really wrong with the students. These dreams are really eating away. And, and there's... You know, we know what happened to them. They were wiped. They were blinked out of existence. The Beyonder killed them. He he just run, he, he he erased them from existence. And when he recreated them, they were empty husks. And so, that's what's happened. They don't really have much. There, they're pretty much empty husks, just shells, and they're just moving through, going through the motions, and. Uh, they, the Sharon and Magneto talk too about the White Queen's presence having been in, in Magneto's dream, and Sharon points out that that, he, that they got a letter from Emma, and and Magneto theorizes if he is able to pick up these dreams, if he is psychi- psychically sensitive enough to to get these dreams, then it's all entirely it's it's, it's entirely likely Emma knows it's happening too, because she's a, a powerful psychic. A powerful telepath, right? And uh, so, but this conversation's interrupted with the arrival of the new moons. And just as Magneto has described, the students are pretty less listless. Their movements are listless. Their eyes are dull, and their voices are flat. Um. And they're not interested in eating. They they don't seem to have any joy or pleasure. And there's this beautiful, like, four-page or four-panel spread in the middle of this page that that shows the mutants' facial expressions, right? Each student's, and they're all just lifeless. It's well done, just beautiful artwork. And it really conveys what's going on, you know, the sense of the situation to us, the readers. And uh, <clears throat> they're kind of like zombies, you know, and like that links us back to that horror aspect, right? So not only are the students not eating, neither is Magneto, right? He, he's, Sharon offers, had offered to make him something, uh, I want to touch on this because I think it's important. And he says, no, he, he tells her coffee's fine. You know, and, and Sharon pushes him. He, he looks run down. He looks wore out. And it, he, running like this, not eating, not not taking care of himself, he'll be in no position to help anyone. And 
it just it just the sheer desperation of the situation for Magneto, you know, and uh, he's he's not taking care of himself. Like stress and the pressure and all of it is just building, is overwhelming him, and he is incapable of handling it. This man that was a terror as a villain, the leader of the Brotherhood Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, just cannot function in this sort of environment where. It's much more of a give-or-take relationship. People aren't giving orders out of fear, aren't taking his orders out of fear. He has to interact with these people on a level uh, that's humane and friendly and caring and empathetic, and he is struggling. He has all of those traits, but he is not able to show them. Either way, like I said, the New Mutants have arrived. They're not really the students that anyone remembers, including us, the readers. Uh, and Sharon, Tom Corsi comes in and he, he tries to solicit Magma's help with clearing the driveway of snow. And she's, sure, whatever you say. And he talks to Sharon that oh, nothing's changed. And Sharon tells him privately to the side that she wishes Professor Xavier here. Nothing against Magneto, he's a great guy. But he just doesn't seem to be able to handle this situation. And... We get a panel of Magneto once again questioning his ability, wishing Xavier was there to help to solve this problem because Magneto at this point is not equipped to handle this situation. Later that day in the mansion, we get further narration from Magneto and he's talking about how he really relishes the time especially now, and maybe since he's arrived, it's hard to tell, that he can roam this massive mansion. And in doing so, he finds isolation and solitude. And that is warm. That, that's comforting to him at this point. And he dreads the coming of night because he has to sleep. And sleep is when these nightmares start. And it's, it starts the whole process all over again. And so he dreads sleeping. And as he's wandering these, uh, the man wandering through the mansion, the lights are out. There's no lights on. Uh, it's probably evening, late evening. Uh, it's dark, and he he's thinking about how Xavier was the born teacher. It's not not him, and that <clears throat> Xavier in this situation would instinctively know what to do, whereas Magneto is forced to grope blindly in the shadows. And it's interesting because in the panel artwork, we see the 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 wording laid out uh, to go with the panels, and it's well done here in that we've got Magneto going up to the bar in the darkness trying to find the bottles and get a glass and pour himself a drink, right? He's groping blindly in the dark to get a drink, to find his comfort, right? Because the drink represents some sort of uh, relief, a release from these problems he is dealing with, this constant strain and pressure. And he feels as though he's blindly groping in the dark in an attempt to help these children. Like the, 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 the metaphor there is really, really beautiful, right? Like this feeling of helplessness and he's forced to the bottle. Right, fear and helplessness and isolation all force him to drink. It's it's 
pretty, I don't know, it's interesting. I really enjoy it. I think it's really well done. I think it's a beautiful page. And it's also something that should be pointed out. Magneto continues to compare himself time and time again to Professor Xavier, and he never never measures up when he makes that comparison because he only compares himself to Magneto in places where he feels he's failing. He never, never compares himself on an even playing field. And by that I mean there would be quality, every person has qualities, right? Some people, uh, let's, let's just say uh, myself and Peyton Manning, right? If I were to take make a side-by-side comparison, and only look at my ability to throw a football, a touchdown pass, in the NFL, compare that to Peyton Manning's, of course I'm going to come up short. But there's got to be other areas where maybe I don't exceed Peyton Manning, but at least I don't suck as much as throwing a touchdown pass in the NFL. If that makes sense, that's, that's kind of what he's doing. That's, in my, my mind, that is what Magneto is doing. He's comparing himself in one singular way to Xavier. And at this point in Magneto's uh, continuity and in his character's development, it's the only thing that matters to him. It is the sole purpose of his life, is to help young mutants, to protect them. He had a way of doing it that was waging war pretty much on humanity. He's chosen to forsake that and try to find another way where can co-inhabitation, coexistence is possible, right? And he doesn't know how to do it. He doesn't know how to do it. It's not his initial plan. It's not his real belief. Uh, but let's, let's move forward. Um, as he's getting this drink, he, he pours it and a match is struck and it ignites the it ignites it it lights the room and in the in the light of the room we see Emma Frost and she is sitting in his chair behind his desk and Magneto is startled to see her obviously and she tells him you know if she wanted him dead she could kill she would he'd already be dead he needs to relax and they talk they talk at some length about her desire to help the new mutants. That yes, in fact, as Magneto suspected, she could feel their psychic cries. She could feel them. Even as hard as she wanted, she, she had really had to struggle to block that out of her mind all the way in Massachusetts, the Massachusetts Academy. And she basically tells him that she's the only one that can help them. Magneto cannot. He is not capable of helping them, no matter how much he wants to. He's not able to help them and that she is capable of doing it. She can move, remove the pain. She can shield them from the pain and help them have normal, happy lives. And she has promised at this point to not pressure them to join the Hellfire Club. She's just trying to help these kids. That's what she's there for. That's what she tells him. And Magneto's not certain. And she tells him no matter what choice he makes... They, her, Magneto and Emma, or the White Queen, they're not the two that are suffering. It will be these kids. And so it's really on him. And she continues to push and push at this. And he becomes irritated and tells her to get out. And she, she does. She leaves willingly. But tells him she'll be back. That he will want this eventually. 
She's certain of that. The next day in the danger room, Magneto is working with Sam, and he is still stinging from the confrontation he had with the White Queen the night before. And he has asked Sam to just execute a, a solemn course with his blasting, while well, blasting, okay? And Sam attempts to do this, but he gets tangled up very quickly in these rings that Magneto had laid out throughout the danger room with his magnetic abilities and f- crashes to the floor. Magneto is extremely disappointed and lets Sam know. And he demands an explanation, but Sam really offers none. And Magneto keeps pressing him. And eventually, and, and Sam has nothing to say about any of it. And Magneto, in desperation, says, tells Sam that Danny and Sam are the leaders of the, the new mutants. And the other mutants look to them for leadership. And is this the example that they want to set? You know, and Sam doesn't really care. He just doesn't care. And Magneto tells him that he needs to run five kilometers and then meet him in the classroom because his, his schoolwork's suffering too. And, and Sam walks away, um, asking, as he's doing so, asking as if, as if, was that everything? And Magneto's continuing his tirade as Sam's turned his back and was walking out the door as a teenager would do, an angst-filled teenager would do. And... <clears throat> Magneto's thinking to himself that he handled this really poorly. He doesn't know what to do, and he's desperate, so, so desperate for Charles Xavier. And he, and he forms this statue-like figure out of these hoops that he'd used for the solemn course, making it into the form of Charles Xavier with his magnetic abilities. And he, he realizes that he's being tested in a way he didn't think he'd have to be tested. He didn't think that this early in his tenure at the Xavier School, would he need to prove himself capable or worthy of the mantle that Charles had here, right? He didn't think he'd have to prove his worth and his position, but he's already being tested, and it's, and it's a test that he's not sure he can pass. And so he collects his things after he crushes a statue and uh, heads, heads out into the hallway. And as he's walking along, he passes the door and he realizes it's Stevie Hunter's classroom or dance class. She's instructing the students and, and they're failing. They're, they're not doing the choreography cr- properly. And, and Stevie has singled out Rain and tells Rain, you know, you've done this time and time again. You, you have these moves down. This should become, this should be second nature. And she has them repeat it and they fail again. And Magneto he can no longer hold back his rage. He's, he's extremely angry with the students. He's ex- ex- angry with himself. He's angry with Xavier. He, he's angry with everyone. And he, he doesn't know what to do. And the fear of this whole situation, of everything, it, it's all coming to ahead here. And... He, he sees these students, flat-footed, uh, graceless, just going through the motions of the dance, just like they're doing in their lives, and he just can, he, he lets loose. He lets loose. He yells at them 
and he tells them that if a teacher, whether it's Stevie Hunter himself or any other teacher at the school, gives them an assignment, they will execute it to the best of their abilities. And he wants that understood. And then he orders them to do it again. And Ileana says that's you know, BS, this is the most emotion any of these students has shown since it, within this issue, these, this, the, this, this, this issue. And, and she ports herself to limbo. She's out of there. And Stevie's extremely angry, and I love her reaction, right? She is enraged with Magneto, and she lets him know. Uh, she points out that, you know, it, his anger did nothing. It, it basically sent... Ileana running to limbo and it has improved it hasn't done anything to improve the student's lame lame performance as she calls it and she'd asked pretty pointedly are you going to punch him out next are you going to knock one of them out and she tells him it's her classroom and if she's if he has no objections she'd like to finish it and basically shows him the door it is so badass because Stevie Hunter she's not a mutant and she is talking to Magneto, at one time the greatest villain of the X-Men. Many, <laughs> very, there are a large number of humans in these comics that are afraid of Magneto. But Stevie Hunter, in that classroom, isn't going to allow that to happen. One, she is in charge there. It's her dance studio. She's the dance instructor, so it's her territory. She knows what she's doing. So she's in asserting her authority in that space, which, one, she's a woman. She's a, 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 a woman, uh, a minority woman, exerting her place and establishing her firm footing in that space. And she's standing up to someone in a way that's respectful, to be quite honest. Like, she doesn't have to be respectful of Magneto, but she is here. And it's, I just, I really appreciate this, right? He's, he's not feared by anyone here. And he is the one. Magneto is the one now that fears everything. It's kind of an interesting juxtaposition. Have, having gone from invoking fear in others to having constant living in a state of fear and failure and not being used, used to it. Uh, so, uh, as much as anything, really, honestly, this this issue is about Magneto and and not the New Mutants. They're they're a guest star once again in their own book, but it's I I, I really really appreciate it because I I think it what it shows us in in a way is one it shows us the amazing development of of Magneto's character. But we get this great look at Sharon here, and it's only a couple panels. It's about one page worth of, of comic panels. Uh, and we get this great insight to Sharon. But we also get an example of just how far the New Mutants have come, right? Because they've, one, regressed to this state where they where they were basically at when they entered the school. But also it shows us how much work Chris Claremont's done uh, in the, you know, 39 issues, if you count the, the special editions, and 40 if you count the... the, the uh, or, you know, the graphic novel, and 41, if you do the special edition and, and the annual, right? That's 41 issues. Just how far these characters have come, how much development's occurred with them on the page, and how different they are 
if you remove all that. These are the husks that came to the school, right? These are the, the characters that Claremont and his artist teams have re- spent 40, 41 to 41 issues or so breathing life into. And they've come a long ways. Because this, you could argue, is about where they started. This is about where they started. And I'm not just speaking power-wise. They were empty husks when they first were placed upon the page in the graphic novel. And only by the end of the graphic novel did we have any sense of who these characters were. So it's kind of interesting. I really, I really appreciate that. It's, it's, it's really cool. Um, so yeah, let's, let's regress or digress again, and we will uh, continue with our story. Elsewhere, in the carriage house, Danny tends to bright wind, even though she is pretty much a hollow husk, even though she feels immense pain and despair, she realizes her responsibility to Brightwind and, and won't let him suffer, so she grooms him, mucks out his stall, uh, feeds and waters her horse. And she she cares for it, Brightwind. And Brightwind, uh, we know she picked up an Asgard. She is now a Valkyrie, and uh, yeah, that's, that's the deal with Brightwind. I think I talk about it every time Brightwind shows up. Um, but uh, that that's the situation, and it's the first time We've had any prolonged conversation from any of the New Mutants. And she talks to Brightwind. She tells Brightwind pretty much everything. She talks about how her teammates and her were killed, how they had been killed, and how she was happy to be killed by the Beyonder because she had failed her teammates. And she didn't want to live with that. And so when she was killed, she was she, it was relief. It was a sense of relief. And then they were brought back. They were brought back as toys of the Beyonder, just to be, to be toyed with. And not only did he just bring them back from the dead, he brought them back with the memories of everything that happened to them and that it could happen to them again. And they... Not only that, she's been told now that the Beyonder's been killed, that he's dead, that he's no more, but she doesn't believe it. Because, and even if he is dead, even if that's true, it's just as likely that there's some other force, some other entity that's just bigger, badder, and more evil. So it could easily just happen again. And as she's finishing her thought here, (coughs) Brightwing begins to just, like, buck and uh, make a lot of commotion. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, bows. And... Danny's trying to figure out what's going on. She looks over, and she sees a frog, and it's glowing. So she hears this voice in her head. And uh, it's it's Thor, and basically he's telling her to be firm, to to not give in to despair. Uh, Triumph over it, and thou wilt triumph for all everything else, really. That's the greatest evil. Despair is the greatest evil. It'll sap everything from a person. And she recognizes the face that's being projected to her in her mind. And it's the face of Thor. And what we see in a note from our editing staff is that Thor has been transformed into a frog in Thor number 365. 
And after he does this, stops and talks to Danny, he hops away and begins to hop away. And Danny wants to help Thor. She thinks he's here looking for help. She needs to go and get him. And Brightwind shields her, won't won't let her grab Thor. And, and she realizes that he didn't come to her for help. He came to her because she was in need. And it worked. Like she feels better. She doesn't feel hopeless. She does feel pain and she has some stuff to work through, but she doesn't feel hopeless. She feels like she can go on living. And she's glad for that, but she's not sure that the her rest of her teammates will ever get to that point. So the new mutants, along with Xavier, they go to uh, a dance in Salem Center and they're just not themselves. They just don't seem interested. And I assume this is kind of occurring simultaneously to Danny mucking out her stall. And they're just not with it. They're just isolating and they're not engaging with these other students. And everybody, all these other teenagers, uh, it, it, this was an attempt by by Magneto to bring them out of the shell to hopefully get them uh, up and moving again. But it, it's backfired. And now they're not only stuck and struggling uh, and isolated within themselves and not enjoying life but just going through the motions now they're social pariah as well and so he has made things worse and uh, he's beginning to realize that and this realization doesn't really stop for him he uh, is confronted by Warlock later in his in his office and his study and Warlock is concerned as well he he appears currently right now as things stand uh, Warlock and Danny are the only two that, that have kind of snapped out of this. And he wants answers. He wants, you know, something, he, you know, he's tried to scan them. He, he doesn't see anything off. And he, he wants answers. And Magneto doesn't have any answers for Warlock. And he, t- he tells Warlock he's, he's as lost about this situation as Warlock is. And their conversation is interrupted by Sharon. She she opens the door and uh, in walk Doug's parents. Warlock quickly shifts back to the chair that he had been disguised as. And they basically tell uh, tell Charles Xavier, or not Charles Xavier, so he used to Xavier being in head of the school, Magneto, or Michael, as he's going by, uh, Xavier's brother. Um, that's his his uh, how this the that's the fake. That's the secret identity that the identity that they created for him, so that he could take over the school, um, and and it wouldn't cause questions among family of the students, and so he talks with them. And he greets him, and he's happy to meet him. And they tell him that they're concerned about Doug, that he's he's not the same boy. He's not happy anymore. He initially loved the school. He was happy to be there. But lately, he's changed. Something's different. He's unhappy. He's withdrawn. And they're concerned. And they want to stop it before it becomes any more of a problem. And so things are just mounting at this point. Things are out of control. And Magneto is desperate for solutions. But he has none. He has tried everything he can think of, everything that he knows to do, except for be violent. That is his 
What he wants to do probably more than anything is lash out, but that's not going to do any good. And he is really running out of options quickly. Meanwhile, outside the mansion, watching uh, from the tree line uh, with binoculars, empath, he, he's kind of watching proceedings. And we find out here that he's been influencing the situation. He's been, been influencing, manipulating Magneto. And as a result, Magneto's been more lost and confused and uncertain of himself. And that's what's happening. That's why he's unable to be of help. Now, that being said, I don't know what Magneto's solution would have been had he not been influenced by Empath. Uh, and Empath, who's watching the things unfold in, the, in Magneto's study, is confronted by Tom Corsi and Sharon Freelander. And they tell him, they, they realize it's, it's probably one of the students of Emma's. Uh, Emma Frost's, and they have they order him. Hey, it's you're coming with us. And he turns to them and he tells them he's not. In fact, he he controls emotions and he tells them they're no longer interested in him because they they are interested in each other. And they will make love and fulfill that desire and a bestial passion that will not die until it has drained them utterly. And that they begin making out, kissing. They fall up to their knees in the snow, embracing each other just in mad, hot passion. And Empath returns to watching Magneto, and we see Magneto still talking with Ramsey's parents. And he says that their right to be concerned. He is himself, but he's been too proud, you know, and the students, as a result, are paying, you know, the price for that. And now he knows what needs to be done, and he's going to do it. He he tells the students, he calls them to the study later, and Emma Frost stands in the office next to his desk, and he tells them, he's got an important announcement. He's transferring them all to the Massachusetts Academy. And he, he realizes they're really going to be shocked, but he thinks it's for the best. And for now, the Xavier School is closed and the team's been disbanded. And pretty much the entire team really doesn't care. The only person who's concerned is Danny, and she cries out, you know, no. And she thinks to herself, this is crazy, it's wrong, it doesn't... And, and realizes none of her friends care. And she wants Magneto to stop. He tells her, no, it's, you know, it's done. And Danny doesn't want to go, they can't make her. And that's it. And Magneto is left sitting alone at Xavier's desk with the portrait of Xavier like up on the wall it's a really interesting perspective right we've got a down angled perspective in this uh, you know shooting up and so we're we're looking from magneto's left shoulder and it's hitting the wall and we see the this this image of xavier it's uh looking down upon him almost in judgment 
and Magneto, I'm just going to close with his narration. I tell myself to pay no, to pay Mirage no mind. She is understandably upset. But I believe, I know that I've made the right decision, the only decision. And his face, it's shrouded in darkness. And that's, that's the end of this issue. The next issue is things get worse. Issue number 39. Um, it, it, I, I, I like this issue. I really like what Claremont's able to create from the disaster, the fiasco that was the Beyonder, right? The, the mandate to include Secret Wars 2 in his issues. And I think he's made excellent work of the last two appearances of the Beyonder in, or the la- certainly the last appearance of the Beyonder in the New Mutants. It, he is, I mean, it's stellar. This is stellar. This story arc is beautiful. It's wonderful. I really like the character development for Magneto. I like what we're seeing here. It's just, it's a really great story. I really enjoy it. Um, and it's going to get better, <laughs> even though it says it's going to get worse. Uh, I promise you that. It's a wonderful story. Uh, it's really worth worth looking through, taking and reading. Um, and I just think there's some real good things in here to sink your teeth into. It's pretty heavy. It's pretty uh, not very lighthearted. There's just a lot in here. Uh, that moment with Thor, though, the frog Thor, is, is this moment of hopefulness. It's it's uplifting to a certain degree. And, you know, it's got some comedy to it. I mean, Thor is a giant, you know, it's a bullfrog, basically, and he's hopping around in the middle of winter. Uh, there's some comedy there, too. So I just think it's a really well-contained issue, really, really well done. Uh, I really enjoy it. So that is, that's it for this issue. Uh, until next week, keep reading those comics. James Explores the New Mutants is, as always, recorded in Iowa City, Iowa, and is produced by myself using the Anchor app. New episodes are published every Wednesday and can be found wherever podcasts are available. There are a number of ways you can reach the podcast, and let's run through those really quickly. The podcast can also be reached on Twitter at ExploreNewMutant, via email at ExploreTheNewMutants at gmail.com. Visual companions to the episodes are available on Facebook and Instagram simply by searching James Explores the New Mutants. Well, until next week, like I always say, keep reading those comics.